Thanks for listening to this message from The Block KC. The Block KC exists to help young adults build their lives on what counts. We believe that is Jesus and what God has revealed in His Word. We'd love to see you next Thursday, 7 p.m. at Lenexa Baptist Church. Now, let's listen to this week's message. What's up, guys? How we doing? Good to see you guys. It is a packed night. I don't know if you guys know this. If you're up front, well, there's rows added in the back. It is good to have uh, have it popping, popping off tonight. So happy you guys are here. Um, Welcome to the block. My name is Luke Hoagland, one of the directors here at the Block Kansas City. Uh, Excited. We're continuing a series that we've been in for um, about three weeks, about a month. And it's on real life. So how, as young adults, people in this room, still blazing into new pastures, territories, how do we live a real spiritual life in the real world? And so uh, week one, you guys can listen to all of our messages on Spotify. Go check them out. Week one was on community. um, And then we talked on work. And then we talked on rest. So that's where we are at. We're changing gears a little bit for tonight and for next week. We are going to have a message for the men specifically, and a message for the women specifically, and like, like, a, like gentlemen should do, we're kicking it off ladies first tonight, ladies first. And so, guys, don't check out, there's a lot of really good things uh, in this message for you as well. Um, do you, if you want to be married someday, it'd probably be good to understand women. That's why I was chosen for this task, because I really get it. I understand you, ladies. I know it all. Actually, my wife, Bailey, she said, Luke needs to be the person up there. Just kidding. She's in Florida and she can't defend herself. Um, So, uh, but I'm excited, excited to talk about women tonight. And it's going to be a special night. You see table, stools, some stuff going on. I'm going to welcome in a second uh, a woman and a good friend of mine named Carrington Anderson. She is uh, the, wow, yes, her brother is excited. That's some good family love. Um, She is the women's director here at The Block. She has hosted the previous couple of weeks, and uh, man, Carrington is awesome. I've had the pleasure of knowing her for two to three years. Uh, Her husband, Charlie, is a great friend of mine. We're in a life group together, and uh, man, eternally grateful for Carrington, honestly. The friend that she has been to my wife, Bailey, has made just an incredible positive change and experience uh, in, in Bailey's life, the way they've just been able to rub shoulders and grow. Carrington's benefited me a ton, like we're in the same life group, and she pops off wisdom all the time, and, uh, and so she's been an incredible encouragement to me. So without further ado, let's give a really warm welcome to Carrington Anderson. <laughs> Carrington, what's up? Not much. Welcome. Oh, is she on? Maybe. Maybe. Testing. Testing, Yeah, I think she's on. Yeah, we got you. Yeah. Amazing. Hey, guys. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, introduce yourself to the people. I I said some things. You you fill in the gaps for us. Yeah, for sure. Uh, For starters, I think the walk-up song was What a Girl Wants. And I got to tell you, I've got quite the sweet tooth. So this is what this girl wants, this candy (laughs) land. I would like for this to be my house, um, honestly. Uh, So yeah, like Luke said, I'm Carrington. I have been um, coming to the block for the last, going on three years now, which is kind of crazy. Really just started coming as a regular, was here every Thursday night, and then really started to get more involved with the block, started serving um, with events initially and kind of just different capacities. Um, And then most recently, this year, as 
um, women's director stepping into that role, which has been really fun uh, to get to work with all the women, and Luke and Nick as well um, has been a real treat. I am not in ministry full-time, though I am a project manager. That's my day job at a company in Overland Park. Um, love that. I love the workforce. Um, feel like God wired me that way in a lot of ways, which has been fun. Um, You're Mary, aren't else? you? Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. I am. <laughs> I am married. have been married for a little over two years now to my husband, Charlie. Um, and then we have one fur baby together, Barney Doodle. Winston is his name, and we adore him. He's awesome. I love Winston personally. I talked great things about you and Charlie. Winston might be my favorite. Uh, yeah, our friends endearingly call our house Winston's house. So like, oh, we're going to Winston's house. Yeah. So he's the real draw to our house. Yeah. So tonight, talking about women, I love talking about women. So excited for it. Man, <laughs> fully, I'm really excited to fully understand them tonight. Um, so let's, let's get ready. We're going to get into it. We are in the same life group like we mentioned. So we've got a picture uh, of the crew together. If you want to throw that up on the screen, next slide. Uh, picture is coming. There we are. Look at us. Looking good. This is at a uh, murder mystery party hosted by uh, Carrington and Charlie themselves. And so that's why we're dressed uh, as such. Some of y'all were there. It was a good time. Uh, yeah, we got one more picture, I think. I think we do. And this one's actually my favorite. Um, so the story to this Skate one City. Are, this is our life group. Um, myself and Charlie, Luke and Bailey, and then the Frasers. Shout out to the Frasers. Um, and this night was super fun. The boys ended up um, planning, men, the men, excuse me, Thank you. planned a fun <laughs> surprise group date night for us, which was a real treat. We went to dinner. That's where the surprise happened. We realized it was not a date for each of the couples individually, but a group date, rather. Um, and then we went to a thrift store, and they gave us um, probably 30 minutes. Um, they took an hour. <laughs> We did, we did go over our time limit by a pretty significant amount. Um, to pick out some clothes, I think, I don't know, 70s, something like that, an era. And then went to Skate City, which was really fun. I want to point out, I want to draw your attention to Luke. Um, his shirt was really fun and said, here comes the party. But the best part was on the back. So we made him flip it around, and he wore the back of his of the shirt on My the shirt front. is currently it's, backwards, it's is what backwards. she's trying to say, for the sake of the picture. If we yeah. could zoom in, we can't, but if I had thought about it earlier, I would have had it just zoomed in one of the neckline. It was really good. A little high um, up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little choking hazard. Yep. No. It's so, been a treat. Yeah, it was, it was a ton of fun. So uh, let's, let's get into it. Yeah. Let's. Yeah. Um, so kind of wanted to just give kind of where we arrived at the need for including a womanhood and manhood talk in this series. Um, so there's a great need now and will continue to be a great need for more and more women of God to boldly live out what God is calling us to. Um, and kind of like we've talked about, I think that starts with um, having a confident understanding of how God has called us to live. It's hard to live up to something that you don't know, know what the call is. So it can be difficult to gain that clarity, and we've honestly really been praying a lot that God would use this conversation tonight to help bring some clarity to what it looks like to strive to be a godly woman. Yeah, and I've, I've been following Christ for uh, a number of years now and studying the Bible for a lot of years, and uh, it can be difficult to understand what are some of the differences in the ways God has called men and called women. There's some confusing passages that speak directly to both, and um, and. So we're excited. We're going to get into one of those passages tonight. We don't want to shy away uh, from really what is a difficult passage. And so we're going to get right into it, excited to explore what God has for us here. And to preface what's true about the Bible, um, it is a radically for women text. Maybe the most radically for 
women text in all of history. And, and the truth, the reality is, I guess, is it's been made out to be something other than that. It, it has, and, and, and I'm, I'm sorry for that. We want to clear that up. God is clear that women aren't a cosmic afterthought of his, but they're really designed and intended. God had a grand purpose for women. The first people to witness Jesus who uh, rise from the dead were women. That wasn't a popular way to validate anything in history, but that's the way he ordained it, because he created women and he used them for great purposes. Um, he had friendships. Jesus had friendships when he was on earth with women. He taught them, served them, led them, healed them, saved them. Women were such a, a part of his ministry. In the Bible as a whole, there are countless stories where women are the main character. Like, you can go, there's books entirely after women. Uh, those aren't the only ones for women, not necessarily. Like, you don't just stick in Esther and Ruth. They're for men as well. Um, but women have an integral role into the purposes of God throughout the entirety of history. Yeah, and that said, I would say God did give us distinct roles. Um, so men and women have been designed differently by God in some ways, and this is a blessing. Um, mm -hmm. I don't have to try to flourish in being a man, and luckily we don't have to see Luke spin his wheels trying to flourish in being a woman either. Um, granted, we'll try to help him crack the code to women tonight. I've got but a great female we vocal. Don't. <laughs> That's, I just want to say that, so anyways. Yep, yep. Um, so we're designed differently, and not only is that okay, but it's a really good thing um, and something that we can, we can aim to understand and live out of. Um, we'll look at a few passages tonight that do speak kind of directly to women, um, as well as some that are for everybody, all believers, men and women alike. But we wanted to just call out and, and make sure you know that the vast majority of Scripture does speak to both men and women, um, that they're aren't just a few paragraphs or short books here and there um, for women to, to pay special attention to and stick only to that, um, but that we can both learn and apply scripture all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, so like I said, tonight we'll focus on a few passages addressing women, and then next week, like we've, we talked about in the beginning, we'll, we'll turn our attention to manhood. Yeah, let's talk about it. Ladies first, we're jumping into 1 Timothy 2. So you're welcome to join us there in your Bible. Go ahead and turn there. We're going to have the verses on the screen. You don't have to put them up yet. Uh, but uh, I, I want to preface this a little bit for context. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing this to Timothy. They shared the gospel in Ephesus with this, with this place, and it was time to start a church there. And so Paul left Timothy there to start the church. And, uh, and so this letter is a ton of direction to, to call to Timothy. He's reminding Timothy of the truth of the gospel. What does the church stand for? And then it's directions on how the church ought to operate is, is really the entirety of the letter. What is good and right and the design of God for the way the church and the leadership in the church and the structure of the church, what's best? How is it gonna work best and according to God's purposes? Um, and Paul, in the verses we're about to read, he is speaking directly to the church gathering. And so, and so what I mean is it's, you can think of Sunday morning when uh, all generations are together and there's prayer and worship and teaching. Paul is speaking to that moment when everyone comes together, everyone's invited. Uh, it wouldn't be like this room specifically. It would be the entire church gathering together. So let's get into it. First Timothy 2, verse 8. Go ahead and read with me. It says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So we got a little bit here for the men before we get to the women. Um, he says, I desire that in every place. So that means not every single spot in the world men should be like this praying. You know, it, uh, this is talking about in every church. Anytime the church comes together, men should be people who pray. 
So guys in the room, just before we get into anything tonight, are you a person who prays? That, that is your call. You're not called to anger and quarreling and figuring out uh, you're not the guy who makes the business of the church run, and so we got to talk about structure and the way things work and have your own opinion. No. Men, be people who are submitted to God, uh, praying and worshiping him. To the ladies. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty, self-control, not with braided hair and gold and pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So point number one, tonight we're going to talk about a godly woman is modest and secure. You can put that point up on the screen. A godly woman is modest and secure. So uh, you can go to the next one. The same scripture is going to be up there. Paul says women shouldn't be adorned with what? It says braided hair, jewelry, and stuff, and fine clothes. Women should be adorned with what is the target? They should be adorned with modesty, self-control, with good works. And I want to get your reaction, uh, Carrington, on the topic of modesty. Um, I don't think this is an issue only for women. Don't get me wrong, men. It's a, it can be a thing, absolutely. But um, it's very possible that women in the room have been told at some point that you need to dress a certain way. Like God does not want you to show your ankles. You're never allowed to wear heels. I don't know if those are things that have been said to you, but it's, it's things people have been told in places in the world. Uh, so I want to ask it point blank. Like, what's inbounds? What's out of bounds? Have you found anything to be true there? Can girls wear two pieces? Can they wear stilettos? What's the deal? Tell, talk to us about modesty. Yeah, really good questions. We promised hard-hitting stuff tonight, so <laughs> we thought we'd jump in there. Um, I think modesty can be a buzzword. Um, I think it's something that we shrink back at a little bit and don't really know what to do with. Um, so hopefully we can, we can bring some clarity there. Um, we hear the word modesty and we think about appearance. When Paul says modesty here, it's not not about clothes or accessories. Um, for some in here tonight, this might be an opportunity for you to think about modesty and what you wear for the first time. What does that look like? Um, for others, like Luke said, maybe modesty and what you wear isn't a new thing to you, but this is maybe an opportunity to do a bit of a heart check. Um, for women in either spot, what I would emphasize is this question, um, are you dressing for the world or to honor Jesus? I've heard it said that modesty isn't about hiding your body, but about revealing your dignity. And I'll say that again. I can't take credit for it, so I think it's really good stuff, but... Um, worth repeating, it's not about hiding your body, but about revealing your dignity. What Paul is getting at here when he says modesty is about more than what we choose to wear. What he's getting at is the heart, really. Um, so there's a definition of modesty that I found that I like, um, and we can put that up on the screen here so you guys can see it. Um, modesty defined as the quality or state of being unassuming or moderate in the estimation of one's abilities not trying to make people notice you, your abilities, or your achievements. I like that this definition doesn't even bring up clothes. So clothes and appearances is the first thing that we think of when we hear it, but this definition doesn't even acknowledge clothes and what we wear, but it's more about this posture that we have. The women that Paul is addressing in these verses, they're adorning themselves in a certain way to give off a certain image. And what Paul is telling them is that they don't need to do this. In fact, they shouldn't do this. Um, they're engaging in what we'll call identity management. When we have insecurities, we jump into this identity management mode where we want to control how people view us in light of those. Um, insecurity essentially is just a perception problem. Mm -hmm. 
There are lots of insecurities out there um, that we as women can struggle with, but a few that I see being some of the most common um, are relationship status, body image, relationship with food. Um, there are lots, but those are a few that I think are, are really common. Um, as a young adult woman myself, as the women's director here at the block, engaging with women regularly, working with lots of women in the workforce that I'd call friends, um, and having lots of young adult women inside this room and outside this room that are some of my best friends, um, these are insecurities I see a lot. Um, I personally have struggled with all three of those insecurities and a handful of others. Um, and to be honest with you, some days I still do. It's a fight. The good news, though, here it comes in with the gospel. So Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died for all of our sins. And he did all of that so that if we make the decision to believe that he's God in the flesh and that he died and rose again, that God grants us the gift of eternal life. That is a certainty for those who follow Jesus. That certainty is the bedrock in which we can be secure. So instead um, of looking for our security in things that not only can but do change, let's choose instead to be secure in what is unchanging, and that is Jesus. When that's what our security is in, we can have this posture of modesty that Paul is talking about here, and we don't have to feel a need to draw attention to ourselves. Yeah, that's, that's so good that it's really not about dress. He talks about dress in those, uh, those verses that were on the screen, but it is about so much more. Uh, that line you said, it's not about hiding your body, but about revealing your dignity. That is incredible. So what you wear and say and do does reveal something about your heart is, is what he is trying to say. Uh, like, what do you believe to be true about God and yourself? You can, you can tell uh, that about someone even just by looking at them and listening to them sometimes. And so this is the call to modesty. It's about the heart. And uh, it makes me think of uh, Bailey, my wife. We are married. Uh, we were not married at one point. We dated for uh, two months and then broke up. It was because I was unemployed and I turned into just this massive slob. It was not a good guy to be dating, for anyone to be dating uh, on the planet at that time. And um, so we broke up and I, I honestly didn't have intentions of getting back together, uh, to be quite honest. But um, over those eight months before we started dating again, I saw this change in Bailey. Like the security in her life changed. She was so much more solidly built on that security that she had in her relationship with Jesus, and, uh, and, and it was visible, and that was what was really attractive to me. It was like she wasn't grasping for attention maybe in some ways, and she was just, she had this confidence about her that she was secure in Jesus, and man, that was what was attractive to Bailey. That's like, I, I saw that growing, and I was like, I gotta get back with her. Like, like I need to, to marry that woman, and, uh, and, and that's just a Speaking to what you're talking about, that security is, is what really builds a person um, up. God is always getting at that, too. When he's commanding us to do this or do that, God cares about the heart, most of all. He's, he's speaking to our hearts. He, he wants our hearts to be fully his. He wants us, uh, he wants us to have this all-encompassing security in our relationship with him. And so here, the specific call to women um, is to that modesty, and it says, with self-control, and it says, with good works. How would you describe the positive of, of these things that he's saying here to the women? Yeah, so I just talked about modesty quite a bit, um, and I think one way that we can see how self-control comes into play is in the context of that same conversation, right? So 
We have to work to control ourselves to keep this modest posture in our relationships and interactions with people. Um, our default will be to shift back into the identity management mindset. Um, that's what autopilot will take us back to. That's what our flesh will take us back to. Um, it's a fight and it's work to, to remain self-controlled and, and choose to remain modest and secure in Christ. Um, Another example of self-control that comes to mind when I think about it um, kind of as something that's important for us as women to keep in check um, is related to our speech. So there's a verse, Ephesians 4.29, and we've got a slide for this too, so you can, you can follow along, um, but I'll read it real quick for us. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Um, I mean, this verse is really challenging for all of us. Um, it encourages us to be careful and thoughtful with our words, um, that we would aim to build others up with what we say, that we wouldn't tear others down, um, and that we would just be mindful of the impact of our words and the weight that they have on those around us. Um, so this, like I said, isn't the only example of how we ought to be self-controlled, um, but I do think it's one that I think we need to pay special attention to as women. Um, and why I wanted to bring it up. As it relates to good works, um, I would start by just kind of giving a few examples of what that could mean for us as young adults. What are good works? Um, I would say that could be, that could look like serving other people, whether that's helping someone move, um, working with excellence in your job, being a really good employee. Um, it could be giving generously of your time or resources. The list could really go on, but you get the point. Um, nothing crazy or super extra spiritual. It's just the things that we're doing all the time, but that we would put in the, the good person, good works category. Um, with, and I don't know. Yeah, no, that's, that's right. I think with, uh, with good works, I think of the Pharisees, mm -hmm. um, like, uh, these religious leaders in Jesus's day, they, uh, they would give large sums of money because they were wealthy and they had like this authority and people gave to them, but they would do it like they, and they would post on Instagram about it. They would, they would do, you guys see people on Instagram like, uh, I think Mr. Beast like gave so many people like a bunch of money and he made a video about it and you're like, oh, you, don't, you don't think, man, he's a really good person. You're like, he got some views for that and he got some likes and he built his channel. Um, and that was kind of what they were doing. There's this thing that looks like a good work, but was done from the wrong heart. So anything can be a good work and God's speaking to that, that these things can be a good work when they're done from the right heart. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thanks for those examples. Um, to sum that up, too, I would say good works can't be considered good works when they're done out of insecurity and therefore not for the sake of glorifying God. Um, so when we do them as part of this identity management plan, trying to control how people would perceive us, register us as being a good person, um, we're not doing them with the aim to glorify God when, when that's how we're operating. Um, so hopefully you can start to see, even thinking about those examples Luke mentioned, the way that these three things Paul mentions are respectable apparel that we should adorn ourselves with, um, they're really closely related to each other. Um, so kind of picture this with me, if you will. So I imagine insecurity is this, like, really contagious thing. It, it can um, take root and then start to just spread like crazy. Um, 
I think that happens too when we allow other people's perception to control us. So a little bit leads to a lot. Um, I've experienced this personally in seasons of spiritual dryness or laziness, honestly, when I'm not drawing near to God. Um, I'm prone to being insecure, and then that can just snowball for me. I'm really easily offendable. I start to see myself becoming insecure insecure in other areas that just spreads. Um, and when that's the case, that essentially it means that we're being controlled by others um, instead of being self-controlled and moving closer to Jesus. So when those two things are true, when we're, when we're, um, yeah, when we're controlled by others and when we're insecure, um, those things essentially get in our way of achieving genuine good works. And so on the other hand, the alternative to that is when we choose the better way, when we find and lock our security in Christ, that allows us to be both modest and self-controlled. And at that point, we're really freed up for the kind of genuine good works that we're called to in this passage. I would say, um, for the sake, at the risk of being corny, good works in that capacity that are really truly genuinely for the glory of God, those never go out of style. Always in style. That's good. What was that hairstyle you were telling me about oh, the boy. other day? We were maybe going to put a picture of it on the slide. What was it called? Uh, I don't remember what it was called, but it was like a feather, feather. in the hair. Yeah, a feathering. Girls, you know what this is? Feathering your hair? I never Carrington used to do it. It's out of style. <laughs> um, no, that's, that's really good stuff. Like, God wants us to step into good works, but it's just not, hey, go do a bunch of really good stuff. It's, man, do it. The heart to glorify God. A heart that's secure in him. Uh, I want to keep us moving. God's got a lot of really good stuff uh, here for the ladies. These next four verses we're about to get into, um, really the tougher part of these, these verses, um, uh, of the verses we're reading tonight. They've been highly debated. There's a lot of even disagreement within the church between believers on what these verses mean for women. And, uh, and we want to address them. We, like we said, we, don't, we believe that uh, all scripture is God's word, and so we don't believe it should be ignored, but we want to bring it. We want to talk about it. We want to be honest with it uh, and submit to God out of it. But the truth of these verses is they've often been pulled out of the Bible and used by people who aren't submitted to God to attack and defame God and Jesus and men and women and Christianity and so I just want to preface that with these verses, to say all sorts of horrible things about all of those. And as a result, there's been a lot of confusion that I've been confused by all of this. Maybe you guys have been too, and it's led to a lot of hurt as well. And, and I just want to say before we get into some of these things, we're so sorry if you've been hurt by uh, people who have misunderstood and misused these next verses. It's not God's heart in any of these texts to condemn you, but to build you up. And so here at LBC and Journey, we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable. Every word is profitable for us. And it's God's word, so that means that we don't bring our opinions in and say like, yeah, God said that, but this is better. No, we take God's words and we learn them and we apply them to our lives and we believe them because we believe that his ways are higher, his words are greater than ours. And so, yeah, amen. I, I want to get into these verses. Just want to preface all of that uh, there. So verse 11, read with me. It says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. 
And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control. So getting into it, context, remember, this is all about the church gathering. When everyone comes together on a Sunday morning, the entire church. So what I mean with these next verses is we can't take these verses and apply them to every situation in life. That is, that is not what we need to do here. This is when people get together for worship, teaching, and prayer. And I think on initial reading, maybe you guys feel this. It, it feels like some, like some hard words from Paul, some hard words to stomach. And it feels like Paul's got, he just had like a bad conversation with a woman and he's trying to lay down the law. That's, that's not what's happening here. The reality is that that first sentence on your screen is a radically positive word for women. Let a woman learn was a counterculture stretch of consecutive words in this day. And it would have been for much of history up until that point. In that day, learning was not a woman's game. Learning was for the men. And, and, and often women weren't even allowed to be present when a rabbi or a teacher or an instructor was teaching. And if they were allowed to be present, they'd be sitting off in the corner and the men could have the good seats because they're the ones that they re they really need to be focused on and taught to. The, men's got the, best, the men got the best seats. So Paul's words right here, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, was this call to the church, the people who believe in Jesus, to be a holy and different picture to the entire culture, to the entire world that, that people hadn't experienced before. This is Paul saying that, hey, in the same way, the same way that men are allowed to learn, let the woman learn. She needs to be a learner in the same way they can learn. Let the women come near, let them be taught, let them grow, let them mature, let them understand that the church built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, death and resurrection, is not a man's game and the women sit on the sidelines, but all are invited to draw near and grow in their relationship with Jesus, their God. Quietly, with all submissiveness there, is not, is not an opportunity for Paul to say that women can never talk. That is not what it's saying. If a woman talks or coughs so that she should be kicked out, if she makes a peep, you know, that's not allowed. That's not what this is saying. This is just how someone learns. This is what all of y'all are doing right now. You're quietly listening and submitting that you should be hearing teaching and submitting to it in your life. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now, the next verse, it presents some more of the challenges. I don't permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Context, church gathering, everyone together. So it really wouldn't even include a night like tonight. This is not... The block Kansas City is not the church gathering, so you guys know that. There is more beyond this. That's why we invite you guys to journey in LBC. There is so much more to be found in the family of God. But in the church gathering, what it's saying here, God has purposed and given the responsibility in this particular leadership role to be taken up by a man. We can't apply this to every situation in life, like I said. So good news for you women. You can be a CEO. You can step into leadership positions of all kinds. Anywhere in the world, God is not saying that women can't lead or ever have authority over a man. In the church setting, this is what the call is. If, if a girl's a person for the job, she should get the job. In the church setting, God has called man to this task of primary teaching role. 
Paul gives a couple reasons right there too. He says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Meaning something to do with the created order is the reason for this. The fact that back, we look back in Genesis, Adam was created first by God. He was told to rule the earth and told to, to name the animals, and before, even Eve, uh, before Eve was even created. And then Eve came into the picture, and Adam's role was to teach her all God had commanded him. One of those things being, do not eat from the tree of life. That was Adam's role, to teach Eve that command, and we know that he taught Eve that command. God instructed Adam to instruct his wife, but it says Eve became a transgressor, Romans 5 actually holds Adam responsible for this. Adam is the one responsible for sin entering the world. You can read that in Romans 5. So it's not saying here that Eve, you know, she ruined everything. That is not what it's saying, but Adam is held responsible for the sin of Eve. So men having this role of authoritative teaching role in the church, it's not because men are smarter than women. What was your ACT score? I'm just kidding. It was probably higher than mine. It's not because men are more perfect than women or less sinful. God knows that's true, that women are probably purer than men. I, I think so. But the reason is because God has specifically called and designed men to take up this role. Now, last verse, it says, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control. Honestly, this is the most difficult part for me to like fully grasp and understand and studying it. I'm going to give it a stab, though. I think what it means is back when sin entered the world, the world, there was a curse put on man and woman, and the curse over woman that she would have pain in her childbearing. And so I think what this verse is saying, that even though the pain of that curse still remains for women, even though every time a woman gives, uh, gives birth to a child, we, we know the picture, it is still painful. She's still, however, created in the image of God to be, her, to be his daughter. She's offered salvation just as any man is. She's created in his image, and God wants a relationship with her that she would be able to continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control in spite of the pain. So all in all, I want to summarize all that because that was a lot. Thanks for bearing with me. Um, let a woman learn. Let the women learn just like men learn. And as far as calling someone, Paul's talking to Timothy, as far as calling someone into that role of authoritative teaching role in the church, remember God's creation, that God has purposed and designed men to, go, to step into this role. Not all men but a man to step into this role. The next verses here in 1 Timothy, we're not gonna read them, but they talk, it goes right into it. These are the next following verses. What are the requirements of a man who is gonna step into this role to be an elder or a pastor? That would be the only thing that the Bible would say is necessarily off limits for women. We believe God's design and ways are higher and better, so we, as his children, submit. Carrington, I just wanna know some of your thoughts on all that. Give me, give me what you're thinking. Yeah, Whew. That's a lot to digest. Um, Luke, thanks so much um, for taking that on. Like Luke said, kind of in introduction, this passage is a controversial one. It's highly debated. There's a lot to it. There's a ton jam-packed in there. Um, and Luke had the tall task of teaching on all of that in a matter of minutes. So well done, and thank you for that, <laughs> Luke. Um, super helpful. 
Ladies, I got to tell you, while this is a rich passage with a lot of complexity, as Luke and I studied this passage really in depth for the last few weeks as we were preparing for this, knowing that this was a passage that we wanted to speak on, um, I got to tell you, I'm really deeply encouraged. Um, There's a lot here for us, um, and I'm really encouraged by what I see about God's heart for us in Scripture at large um, and in this passage that, that, like Luke said, can can give us a bad rep. Um, But I don't think that it's true. I think that God has a lot for us that is really positive in life-giving in this. So I just kind of wanted to preface with that. I want to focus a little bit on the bit about let the women learn quietly with all submissiveness. I was getting really excited this week. I've been like, let the women learn. Like, yeah, let us learn, Um, which is exciting. So, and I think obviously submissiveness is in that sentence too. So wanted to talk a little bit about submission. Um, So we'll, we'll go ahead and throw point two up on the screen. Point two is a godly woman is submissive and strong. Two words that you maybe wouldn't normally expect to see in the same sentence. Um, I don't know that submission typically gets thought of as something that can be um, strong, but I would say a godly woman is certainly both submissive and strong. Um, It makes me think of the story of Mary and Martha, um, which some of you may be familiar with, uh, and I think that story captures what it means to be submissive really well, um, even in the same way that we've been looking at in this passage. Um, So for some background, for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with the story of Mary and Martha, um, Jesus and his disciples were out traveling once, and a woman named Martha invited Jesus and his disciples into her home. Um, Mary, or Martha immediately went into um, hostess with the mostess role. Um, so I don't know if any of you guys like to host at your apartment, house, whatever it might be. We do. Charlie and I love to host people. We have people over yeah. a lot. Um, and I, I can go into this mode where I'm like, okay, people are here. What do they need? Do they need to eat, drink? Are they hot, cold? Where do we sit? What should we do? Um, games, fun, things, all the things. Mine just gets rolling. And it's fun. I enjoy it. Um, but can be distracting. So Mary is Martha's sister. So Martha has a sister named Mary. Um, Jesus and his disciples enter the house, and Mary takes a pretty different approach. Mary immediately sits at Jesus's feet to soak up everything he had to say, and Martha reacts to that pretty frustrated. She's frustrated that Mary wasn't helping her to wait on and serve Jesus and the disciples. Um, In Luke 10, where this story is told, it describes Martha as being distracted with much serving. Martha even goes so far as to complain to Jesus, basically asking him why he's not also frustrated and displeased with Mary for not helping her to serve and to wait on them and do these things. Um, And Jesus actually responds and he commends Mary for her eagerness to sit at his feet and learn. At first glance, and kind of looking at this story, Martha looks like the hardworking, obedient, submissive one of the two of them. However, Mary is actually the one that is far more submissive in the way that she sits at Jesus' feet and absorbs as much as she can from him. She has this deep desire to learn, and Jesus affirms Mary. And I think we see the theme repeated here that we were just talking about in 1 Timothy, um, where Paul calls women to learn quietly with all submissiveness. I think Mary is an example of that in this story. Um, I got to tell you guys, this story is really challenging to me, um, because like I was just telling you, I can usually relate a lot more to Martha. 
Um, it can feel way more natural for me to, to stay busy, to be on the move. Uh, I'm a very type A, structure, um, task-oriented person. So that can feel like where I thrive. Um, and that's not to say that that isn't honoring to Jesus, that Jesus wants me to be a doer. He's designed me in a lot of ways that um, I can be a blessing to others through that, but that I first have to have this, this heart posture of submission to Jesus first and foremost, and I want to be more submitted to where Jesus might be leading me and what he might have me to do um, than to really just be driving my agenda, my to-do list for the day, um, but to really start and just sit in front of Jesus and, and be submitted to him. Um, if that's my first priority, like Mary, I'll still go do all those things um, and accomplish them, but they will be coming out of this overflow of my heart, submitted to Christ versus doing them out of obligation or just for to drive my own agenda, like I said. Um, and some of you may already be thinking this, but I wanted to call it out really clearly too. Um, that this point is for both men and women alike. We're all called to be submitted to Christ in this way. Um, we hear the word submission and we associate it with women. Um, and that's because we do have a unique call um, to be submitted to our husbands in marriage. That is true for sure. Um, but generally speaking, submission is for all believers. We are all called to be submitted to Christ. Um, and that's a really good, that's a really good thing. It's a great place to be. Um, so for sure. redeem yeah. the word submission. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not just a thing for women. It's a thing for guys. Absolutely. Women do have the call to be submitted to wives, to their husbands. That is uh, what, the, what the scriptures would teach, uh, really out of the same heart as what we've been talking about tonight. But when we have the right view of submission, it's a really, really good thing. It's a really good thing based to, uh, to, to believe the way God's designed things to work and, and to submit to it. I do think that uh, a weak understanding of submission, it leads to weak men and women. Like when we don't fully get what it means and when we just put it in this box somewhere that it's like, yeah, submission's a girl's thing. I know I'm supposed to submit it sometimes. Guys are like, yeah, don't need to worry about it. It leads to weakness. It leads to weakness in the ways that we relate to one another. And uh, I think submission really is this active dependence that is just a constant thing that we're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When a man, and woman act, man or woman actively depends on God, that is a strong person. That's a strong person who is deeply rooted on a foundation that is immovable in Jesus. And so I imagine some confusion. We're talking about strength here. What is a strong woman? We've talked about submission. What is a strong woman? What, the world says one thing. The Bible doesn't say another thing. Give us a picture of what a strong, godly woman is. Like, does she have to do CrossFit? Does she need to go to Orange Theory? What is, which one? <laughs> huh. Yeah, I was an OTF gal once, so I don't know if there are any orange series in here, but uh, RIP. Splat points. I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I miss my splat points. Yeah. Um, RIP. But luckily for me now, and everyone else that doesn't do either CrossFit or Orange Theory, um, you're in luck. There's hope for us. Um, that is not a prerequisite to be a strong, godly woman. Um, and Mary, I always butcher her last name, Cassian. Mary Cassian, in her book, The Right Kind of Strong, she talks about weak women and how they can be strong as women, alternatively. Um, so she anchors the points that she makes in that book um, in 2 Timothy 3, 6, and 7. 
Um, so there's a slide that will pull those verses up. Before I read that, though, I was going to give just a bit of context for these verses. So this is um, another letter from Paul to Timothy, and he spends verses 1 through 5 in this chapter describing what people are going to be like in the last days. So you can read those later if you want. We're not going to right now. Um, but the gist is that it's bad. Um, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, and a whole slew of other sinful things um, rather than having a love for God in his ways. Um, Paul says to have nothing to do with them, and then that's where we jump in here. Um, so 2 Timothy 3, 6 and 7 says, for among them, them being sinful people described in verses 1 through 5, are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, led astray by various passions, always learning but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. So let's start by looking at how the weak woman is described here, and then we'll kind of work through what that means a strong woman is like in comparison. So a weak woman is, and we'll kind of just talk through these three points in that, that last sentence there, a weak woman is complacent in her fight against sin. She isn't throwing sin off, she isn't fleeing from sin, um, but rather she's allowing herself to be burdened by sin, weighed down by sin. Um, in the language even burdened by sin, um, Jesus talks in the Bible about it. He wants to take our burdens, um, so we, we can give that over to him. The weak woman isn't. She is easily distracted by other things that she's tempted to live for. So it says, led astray by various passions. Um, we can all relate to this in one way, shape, or form, um, whether it's living for career or the sense of security that comes from saving or spending money, living for the weekend, or living off of an emotional high even from one spiritual event to the next, um, whatever it might be. She takes her eyes off of the prize, which is Jesus himself, and allows herself to be led astray. And then lastly, she can get stuck in the cycle of learning for learning's sake. Um, so that last bit there, always learning but never able to arrive. We have just talked a lot about learning. Um, and it's a great thing that we have the opportunity in the call as women to learn, to grow, to be changed by that. Um, the change being the key piece there that here, what we see described are women who are going through the motions of learning. And maybe, maybe it's that they're, they're reading a lot of books, probably even the Bible, um, and they're listening to a lot of podcasts, would have been if podcasts had been a thing back then. Um, and yet she isn't actually changed by any of it just going through the motions. Um, so then on the flip side, let's kind of look at what a strong woman must be then. So looking at the same kind of three points, but what can we gather um, a strong woman looks like? So conversely, she's diligent in her fight against sin. She identifies sin in her life, um, and then she, she takes it to God and she confesses it to him, and she asks God for forgiveness. We know that we're already promised forgiveness um, of our sins because of what Jesus did on the cross, yet we are still called to practice this rhythm of taking it to God and experiencing the freedom and the joy that comes from the reminder of the promise that he forgives us. I think the strong woman also invites community in to walk alongside her and to hold her accountable as she pursues Christ-likeness. Um, we can sharpen each other, so, so let's do that. 
she keeps her focus on living for Jesus. So instead of being led astray by various passions, she keeps her focus on living for Jesus. She has grown deep roots in her faith over time, um, causing her to be firmly planted. She fixes her eyes on Christ. She fights to stay that way, refusing to be led astray and distracted. Um, a big part even of how she gets to that point is related to, to that third point. Um, so where it says, always learning but never arriving. The strong woman, her desire to, is to move away from that and to move towards this um, aim to apply what she learns. Instead of this sense of aimlessness in her learning, she has a clear direction. Her goal is to, to know Jesus more and to become more like him. All of that said, I would even sum it up to say a woman that is growing in her intimacy with Jesus is a strong woman. And she'll even get stronger the closer she gets to Christ. The, the closer and nearer she gets to him, the more like him she becomes, um, all the more stronger she will be. Yeah, strong. When I think of strong women, uh, Proverbs 31 comes to mind, I mean, right away for really good reason. I mean, I've I thought of this passage when we were talking on womanhood, and I was like, okay, I guess we'll read this one. And it just wows me. Every single time I read it, it's a crazy picture of strength that is like active in a woman's life who is led by wisdom, by the wisdom of God. So some of the things it says in there, some, uh, a little highlight reel, she considers a field and buys it. So she's like, she's probably savvy, you know, she buy it, she's got some wealth, you know, she's, she's wise and she does good things with it. Um, she takes great care of her household and friends. She's generous and concerned about other people. She marries well, and her husband trusts in her heart. Uh, that's, that's such a powerful word for that woman. And I think the one that stuck out to me most, there's a huge list, but it says, she doesn't fear the future. She's strong in her character and identity. I, uh, I love Proverbs 31. 31 stuff. It's just, it's just good stuff. I love it. Yeah. It is. It's yeah. really good stuff. Yeah. Um, I studied this maybe a year or so ago with a woman at my church, older woman. Um, she had just started discipling me, um, and we set out to study Proverbs 31. Um, and to be honest with you guys, in my head, it was like, yeah, Proverbs 31, great passage. Um, it's about how to be like a godly wife, even specifically. And in studying it, I am married, but can see a ton of just threads that applied to me as I was a single woman too. Um, some of the things that, that stuck out, I'll do my highlight reel of Proverbs 31 now really fast. Um, she's the first one up in the morning and she's the last one to bed at night. She's so intentional with her time. Um, she works really hard. She serves her family. She serves her community, those around her um, in really tangible and intangible ways. In the, this is the part that gets me. And she's also really present and available with people. My Martha tendencies can come out, and I'm like, yeah, sure, I get it. I'm on board with the, like, let's make the most of our day. Let's get the to-do list done. Let's get tomorrow's to-do list done, for that matter. Um, <laughs> but I can struggle then to pick, okay, I also want to have this value on just being there for people. That Sometimes that's, like, the best thing I can do for someone is not to, to serve my husband, Charlie, in all the ways that I want to, but let me do all these things for you. And sometimes it's like, I just need you to be here with me. Mm -hmm. And the Proverbs 31 woman does that well. She strikes that balance. Um, and what I would point out too, I would um, can't miss this. At the end of Proverbs 31, it says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So she's got all of these, I mean, this Proverbs 31 is packed 
of all of these things you could applaud her for, commend her for, and yet the crown jewel of the Proverbs 31 woman is the fact that she fears the Lord, and that is what everything comes out of for her. Um, I mean, I could go on for days, but essentially the gist is it's an incredibly strong picture of a, of a godly woman. Um, it makes a lot of sense why it is talked about a lot. Yeah, so I imagine there's uh, some young adult women, I know there's some young adult women in the room right now hearing, uh, and, and hearing this just eager to take a next step, to live for Christ, to be a learner, to, to grow and rise up as a woman of God who's submitted and is full of strength, modesty, and security. Wondering how to pursue this right now. So we're going to get into a little bit of application. So we've got a slide for it, some ways that you can apply some of these things. So number one, it all starts with finding security in a saving relationship with Jesus. All of the things you've heard tonight just not possible without knowing your creator and walking with him. And, and if that's you, if you do not know Jesus in the room tonight, that's what these nights are for, is so that you can be helped and led to take that next step in your life that was gonna change it forever, so that you can step in and be this Proverbs 31 woman who grows and rises up uh, and has this great effectiveness uh, in the church and in society and God wants that for you. He's designed you for that. Uh, come up afterwards or speak with someone you came with. Uh, you come up and talk to us. Probably talk to Carrington. That'd be better uh, than me, but I'd love to talk to you and meet to you or meet you as well. Uh, but that's, that's the first, first step. Yeah. yeah. Um, audit the heart is number two. Are you modest in both appearance and posture? So kind of the two parts of modesty that we talked a little bit about. And I think there's room for in all of us to audit our hearts in both senses there. Um, so whether it's the first time thinking about modesty and appearance and um, kind of looking into that, what would that look like? And or where am I coming from in my own pursuit of modest dress? Um in posture alike. So what does my security look like? Am I operating out of this modest posture because I'm freed up to, because I'm secure in, in who I am in Christ? Yep. That's good. Number three is be a disciple, be a true learner. We've established it. Women, you're called to learn just like men can learn. Hopefully that's really good news and you're like, I can learn. You know, if that's, if that's where you came tonight and that's where you are now, super excited for you. Man, rise up and be someone who learns and learns truth, applies it to their life, uh, be a true learner. Number three. Yep. Lastly, commit to fighting sin, anchoring yourself in truth, and applying what you learn. So you'll notice a pattern there. Also the three kind of parts of um, 2 Timothy 3, 6 and 7 we looked at. Um, so just commit to making those things true of you um, in personal just devotion to time with God and um, that being honestly just the best thing, I think you can equip yourself for all of these things to, to fight sin, to, to be anchored in truth in God's word um, and applying what you learn there that you find in the Bible. For sure, yeah. We're gonna wrap it up here. Um, really thankful for Carrington and the time and the prep. Guys, give it up for Carrington. And for Luke. Shout out Luke. Yeah, really, really grateful. And, um, and women, I hope you're encouraged here in the room. The block exists to encourage you. The church exists to encourage you and build you up. Do not ever think anything else. Uh, God loves you. God is for you more than anyone else on the planet, more than anything else you could find, try to find security in. God is for you. 
And um, I'm going to invite the band to come on up. Um, they're going to have some people come up and tear down the stage here a little bit to prepare it for them as we enter back into a time of worship. Um, as that happens, there'll be a little bit of a ruckus going on, but would you guys pray with me? God, thank you for your design, honestly, your clarity, and uh, just speaking to the ways you've designed men and women differently, God, and it's, it's a really good thing. I know that there's so many awesome women and women of God in this room right now who believe it, who have, they, they know those verses and have read them and studied them, and they believe them, and, and they, they have trusted in you, and they know that you are good. God, women are not a cosmic afterthought but created in your image, created for good works. God, I pray for the women right now. God, would you help women in this room be people who rise up, God, that you are gonna use to change the world, that stories would be told of the women in this room and and the great faith that they have in you, that they trust you above all else, finding security, having their confidence and their hope on nothing else other than Jesus' death and resurrection, his atonement on our behalf. Lord, thank you, God, for modeling submission for us. Jesus, when you came, you submitted to your Father in heaven, did not grasp at godliness, did not grasp at your divine nature, but came and was a man and died in service to us out of your love for every person in this room. So, so thankful for tonight, Lord. God, help us as we just enter into this time of worship for our hearts to be fully yours and as we leave to continue in worship with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.